Welcome to the Vince Vonathon. My name is Patrick. My name is Taylor. And I have a question for you, Taylor. I can't wait to hear it, Patrick. This week's movie is called The Binge. It's from 2020. I would like for you to tell me a television program that you binged. And when I say this, I don't mean like, oh, I watched it all in two weeks or like oh yeah i watched it every saturday for six months no no no. what's a show that you watched in like four days mm. most recently it was fleabag uh i watched all of fleabag both seasons in two days uh but that's i feel like kind of a cop-out answer because i think there's only like 12 episodes total yeah it's so, pretty short and they're like 20 minutes um oh gosh what is the show that i binged um Gosh, in like four days? I mean, that's tough. I, I don't feel like I've ever binged to quite that level and, unless it was a limited series. Like, I've done things in one day, but like they're only like six episodes or whatever. I thought your answer was going to be when you first discovered Love Island. You were going through seasons in like four or five days. That's not true. So here's the tea on that, okay? So I discovered Love Island... Um, I discovered Love Island when I was in Maine for an internship. So I was working six days a week, like for nothing. I didn't really have a lot of free time. So I um, wanted to start watching it with the with the 23 other people I shared my house with. And um, we watched like three episodes of season four. And then like everybody lost interest. And I was like, oh my God, I have to keep watching. So I felt bad continuing season four without them. So I started season one which is unhinged by the way. And I would, I used to work concessions in like a, I mean, in a wooden shack outside in like the, in Maine's hottest summer ever. It would be like a hundred degrees a day, no AC anywhere in Maine. Um, and it was a wooden shack that was infested with wasps and I would have to go and like serve people. It was at a theater. So I had to like serve concessions and stuff. And when I didn't have patrons I would literally like have it on my phone and I watched like that entire season on my phone or I would go to the bathroom and watch a little bit like I literally would just like watch it anytime I could but because it was so brief it wasn't like that fast and then I immediately went back to school for the semester so so no I, I wouldn't say I ever was able to watch Love Island uh in that kind of binge I wanted to but I couldn't all right cool yeah. I, I could also say, like, Handmaid's Tale, again, but it would be, like, one season at a time. Grey's Anatomy, I would say my mom and I watched it about as quickly as we could. Um, but, obviously, there's, like, a zillion episodes of that, so you can only go so fast. Sometimes, me and my mom loved Grey's Anatomy so much when I was in 10th grade and we discovered, like, binge-watching that my mom would look at me around 1 a.m. and be like... We're not going to, you're not going to school tomorrow. I'm going out of work. We're going to watch this shit all night. And then we're going to wake up and we're going to watch it all day. And it was awesome. Do you know the show that we're going to binge soon? Uh, the Sopranos? No, I don't know why we didn't keep going with The Sopranos. Is it Secession? Yes. I'm so excited for my king, cousin Greg, Nicholas Braun. You know... Nicholas Braun would have would have really uh, done well in this movie. I don't know in what role, but I just feel like he fits this world. Okay, so let's talk about this movie, The Binge from 2020, a movie that you probably missed, a movie 
in uh, the pop culture zeitgeist that is so forgettable, I actually got the movie wrong when I previewed it last week. Last week I went, oh, that's funny. This week's movie is called Arkansas, and next week's movie is called North Hollywood. That's funny, like two places in a row. Nope, this week's movie was The Binge, is is and was The Binge. And then we have Freaky next week, which I know uh, we and lots of people are excited for, and then North Hollywood. So uh, not only did I screw it up completely, but also, you know, no, clearly nobody watched The Binge. Uh, a Hulu original, and it's sort of like a teen, low-key sex comedy um, that hit uh, Hulu. I wouldn't say it's a sex comedy. I'd just say it's like a raunchy um, adult comedy. And I don't even mean adult in terms of like sex or R-rated. I mean like drinking, drugs, etc. It's like a raunchy adult comedy. Right, so the elevator pitch for The Binge is it is The Purge. It's and I think the people who are behind it even sort of call it like a parody of The Purge. It is the purge, but instead of crime, it is it is drugs and, and alcohol and general debauchery. Here's the letterbox synopsis for you. In the not-so-distant future, all drinking and drugs have been made completely illegal by the government, except for one night a year. High school seniors Griffin, Hags, and Andrew make a pilgrimage to get to the best party in town where all of their dreams will come true. They will have to avoid their crazed principal, violent siblings, and the wild animals roaming the streets. And chaos ensues. This is a movie with a complete garbage general consensus. I mean, a 2.5 out of 5 overall on Letterboxd. The top Four reviews are one star, two and a half stars, one star, one and a half stars. Uh, then there's a three and a half, but then it's two, two, one, two, a half, two and a half, one and a half, one, two and a half. I mean, like, yikes. Uh, and we freaking loved it. Yeah, I thought it was so fun. I think, like, did these people watch it during dry January? Like, I'm sorry that you are no fun, but, like, it is funny and really fun to watch. So, I don't know. Be more fun. You know, I think, if anything, our, um, uh, w- what is it called? I'm, I'm blanking right now. What people think about you. Uh, Not your what? notoriety, but it's always good to lose your words when you're doing a podcast. Yeah, I don't know what you're going for here. Uh, reputation. Oh, our reputation, yes. Our reputation of um, not liking anything. Um, I think we've completely dismantled that with this movie alone because i would say that this is for both of us one of our top 10 vince vaughn movies and we had a freaking blast the entire time yeah like it's gonna be on the list um this movie was so fun i mean it was just like a blast from start to finish i really i found the cast really charming uh two stranger things i would say alum but Stranger Things 4 came out after this, um, so I guess that's not true, but two Stranger Things people, um, uh, the guy with the long hair, who I can't remember his name, who's in the last season, and then the, the cheerleader who dies, who I also can't remember, um, Chrissy, Chrissy's in it, um, and then also just, like, some other, like, that guy from that thing sort of people, um, and then, of course, our man, Vince Vaughn. Vince plays, as Letterboxd calls him, the crazed principal. And he's got a huge stash. And he is doing it up at the beginning of this movie. For the first five minutes, I was like, 
this might end up being my favorite Vince Vaughn movie. I mean, like, I loved it so much for the first five minutes. After, like, ten minutes, I was like, this is kind of getting on my nerves a little bit. And then it kind of, like, grew back on me. But the first, like, five minutes is Vince giving a speech. Very, like, mean girls, like, if you get pregnant, you die. Like, that sort of vibe. Giving a speech to the entire school about, like, I know tonight's binge night, you need to be safe, you know, reminding me very much of my high school principal, Mr. Jablonski. Very, like, after-school special, like, oh, oh, you you like to drink? Well, so did Sharon, and then she was killed. <laughs> like, it's just very, like, it's, like, funny because, it's like, these are real things, like, happen, like, this is how like, information uh, and, like, patterns are presented to us at school. Like, they, they try and scare you out of it, um, which, of course, makes you want to do it more. Uh, oh, my gosh. So funny. What a, what a great freaking role for him. And he's just eating it up, man. I mean, he's just eating it up. <laughs> That's my eating it up sound. I got my spoon. This is our, like... We told you guys he's really funny. We told you guys that he has really good timing. We told you guys that he can like really dive into character when it calls for. A lot of the times he's asked to. A lot of times he's asked to be Vince. Do Vince. That's why we wanted you. We wanted you to do this thing. I'm really interested to see how that translates into Freaky um, next week because you know, Freaky was one of the movies that sort of inspired this. We saw it in theaters in the middle of the pandemic alone. Right. I don't think there was anybody else in that screening. And we were like, wow, he's, like, really funny. Was that really during the pandemic? Yeah, that was, like, October, November of, of 2020. Wow. I don't remember that. That was, like, the height of, and we've talked about this on, on different pods before, but that was, like, the height of everybody saying the movies are an unsafe place to be, but it was actually, like, the best way to go out because everyone was saying that. You're like, oh, you're just going to breathe everybody else's air in the same theater, blah, blah, blah. But because everybody was saying that, nobody went to the movies. So we just consistently got private screenings of stuff. And, like, Freaky was one of them. I'm not joking. Like, I'm dead freaking serious. I think we went, like, at least nine months never, ever having another person in a screening. Like, that's how for real it was. That That's a little dramatic. I mean, there were, like, a, a bunch that had, like, one person, two people in them. But I don't think, aside from when we did Inception and <laughs> Tenet in the same week, and we don't need to get into it, uh, I think the most we ever had in the entire auditorium was like four, maybe. Including us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, anyway, interested to see how him doing his thing translates to, to Freaky next week. But he's not really doing his thing aside from like one point where like the laugh came the laugh came out he's like playing the character and like diving into the character work and like being like i'm gonna be a character actor now some of that kind of falls apart when like his character's twist happens later in the movie and it gets a little more frat boy vincey wedding crashers old school um but when he's doing the uptight um principle it's it's hysterical I'm going to disagree like a little bit and just say I feel like, you know, I can see how a, a casting director would be like, I want Vince Vaughn for this role. Like, I think that he is doing a version of Vince, but it's very characterized. Does that make sense? 
Jones. Like, it's it's not so far. He's not doing someone totally different. It's definitely still rooted in him as just, like, who he is. But he's doing a very, like, hyperbolized version of that. And, um, I, like, I can still see, though, why they'd be, like, when why they're reading this and going, like, Vince Vaughn is the perfect person for this role. I hear you. I think that my pushback to that, and we'll just do this ping pong for the next 20 minutes, is that... He's never going to be the kind of actor to, like, do a voice or, like, be hunched over. I don't know. Just ridiculous, like, silly character actor stuff. Like, that's – those are not how you make acting decisions. But you get what I'm saying. Like, he's never going to just, like, do the curious case of Benjamin Button or something, right? He's always going to be him, um, but he's going to take that and put that into the character. And that's sort of how – you know, you're subverting the expectations. I think we're going to see the same thing in Freaky next week. I'm with you. He's never going to transform, but he's going to dive into it, and that's what he does here. I'm with you, and I think it would have been very easy with a comedic character, especially, once again, we talked about how he paid his bills for years and years and years and years, never once stepping out of comedy, to go back to comedy. And we've seen him go back to comedy recently and him just do his shtick again. Um, but he went back to comedy and, and still chose to dive deep in it. And I think, um, I don't know if that was his, uh, you know, passion for this project. I don't know if that was direction. I don't know if that was um, boredom and just deciding to go all for it. But um, he did it. And I think that that was awesome. I think it was the right choice. I think the secret sauce very well might be being a supporting character um, because he led a lot of movies, Unfinished Business, The Dilemma, we've talked about them, we don't need to talk about them anymore, that he was doing a shtick and it just kind of got old. And I think not only trying some other stuff and, and sort of dipping his toe back into it, but also like this is not his movie. It's the kid's movie. It, it, you know, it's, it's a teenage movie. Um, he is the Ferris Bueller teenager, or not teenager, uh, the Ferris Bueller principal that chases after them, right? That's the exact part that he's playing. That's like a great lane for him. Like, do this. He does it in uh, Starsky and Hutch. He shows up three or four times, gets to be really silly, gets to be really funny, and bounces. And not that I'm saying I want to see less of him, that's not true, but like a lot of our favorite sort of like appearances from him are just that uh we really liked him in that movie blackball he's in like two scenes in blackball doing a similar thing um and i think a big strength of his is doing supporting work and i don't mean that in a dismissive way i think that that is like uh number one how a lot of actors pay their bills but number two like understanding your part in literally your part in this how you're going to serve the story and I got like three or four moments, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Like I said, there's and, and I mean, I'm just gonna tell you, like you know, spoiler. You might see it coming. You also might not watch this movie. I think you should, but you might not. Um, it turns out eventually that his character, the uptight principal, was at one point in his life a huge partier, and was sort of like the king of binge night every year. I don't. Do you remember the nickname that they gave him? He's like the wolf or like the coyote or something. Right, and so he has this reputation of, of being you know the ultimate party animal. Um, there's, there's like a competition every year. There's a competition where you compete to be the the king of all drugs and alcohol. <laughs> I mean, essentially, and you play on a team of four, and 
in that in like the four rounds that you do that are are you know scored on a number of of different um things um you have each one is is some form of drinking and drug taking um so one will be like you know uh drinking you know 15 beers back to back through a beer funnel one will be snorting as much coke as possible that's like this scar face challenge and it's like every time you lift your head up from the coke uh to like take a breath you like have to do an al pacino in scarface impression and you're like scored on that like you can't do it shitty and like yeah that's stupid stuff like that is why people don't like this movie we got a big kick out of it. You know, I don't know. And I wrote this in my letterbox review. Like, I don't know if you have to watch 45 Vince Vaughn movies for this to be like, Hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if, he, if uh, you know, has to kind of wear on you in that way. Like I can definitely imagine like, you know, turning on Hulu in like August of 2020 and we're six months into lockdown and you know, you're just losing your mind and the binge wears on you like no other, um, but in our context, our very unique context of which no one on the planet will ever, or ever, or should, uh, uh, commit to slash perform, um, it played really well. Like in this lineup that is a career, it lands at a really nice spot, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like, you know, this is a perfect example of like the way, you know, Actors get older and they start playing the parent, they start playing the principal, they start playing, you know, the 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 grandparent, you know, and I think that's really tough for a lot of actors, especially traditionally handsome actors and leading man actors and husband actors um, who are just, you know, used to doing their thing. And I think that although Vince has, of course, played a dad before, a dad to much younger children, albeit, it's just like... I think he takes it with a lot of stride and has a lot of fun with it. And um, although he's, like, getting older and, and aging into roles that he probably, you know, you know, always expected that he would play someday and now it's here, I just feel like he's he's done it with a lot of grace and he's really putting himself out there and doing it in a, in a really impactful way, um, which is crazy to say about this, like, silly, goofy movie. But I just feel like... Um, yeah, I just I really really enjoyed this performance, uh, and I, I enjoyed the the performances from everyone else too. Like I thought the the kids were really strong. I feel like they totally understood the assignment when it came to um, you know like like going for it. Um, and yeah, there's a there's a sequel to this of which Vince is not in. Correct. Yeah, it came out this year. It's called It's a Wonderful Binge, and it's like apparently one year they decided to move binge night to, to Christmas Eve. Slay. I kind of want to watch it. We probably will watch it. it I, we, I mean, maybe because it doesn't have the Vince every 15 minutes, it'll lose us, but or I mean like... It's a or because it's a crappy sequel, but uh, we probably will give it a shot. Um, What was I going to say... Oh, do you like the Purge movies? Because this is the comedy version of the Purge movies. So you showed me the first Purge, of which I was, like, indifferent to, I think. And then you showed me the most recent Purge in movies. In, or, I mean, in, like, in the movie theater, um, which was, like, the Purge. The Forever Purge, I believe, is what it was called. And that was, like, the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I, you you told me that, what is it, The Purge Anarchy is pretty good? Yeah. Um, I would like to see that one. Like, I'm not closed off to The Purge. I actually, like, I've always thought that The Purge was a really interesting concept. I just wish that maybe, 
I wish that I, to be honest, like, and I know this is, I, I, based on my understanding of the purge before I watched it, cause we just did this recently before the forever purge came out. Um, I never seen it and I know, I knew very, very little about it. And so I, I thought that the purge movies were like amazing and like really high budget and like really, you know, like big deal movies. And then when we watched it and I saw that it was like a, a Blumhouse movie, I was like, oh, I got this all wrong. And then I watched it and I went like, oh, I really got this all wrong. Um, but I would like to give The Purge Anarchy a shot. I mean, I think that was the exact reason why people didn't like the first Purge movie is because, you know, Blumhouse does what they do, $5 million movies, right? And the concept of anywhere, on, uh, anywhere in the country, crime is legal. There's anarchy all over for 12 hours. So let's make the whole movie take place in this one house. I know that's a budget thing, but it was like, you promised me a great, like that's the killer elevator pitch. And you gave me the worst version of that story. Now, because their movies always make money because they make them for only 5 million bucks, they were able to green light a sequel and do it for real a second time. And that's the purge anarchy. And it, you know, they made four or five movies. The TV show's not bad. Um, but by the time they got to the Forever Purge, which we saw at the $5 theater in town, which I love living in Baltimore. It's, it's, um, it, uh, I, I really like it here. However, the $5 theater in Baltimore can get lit sometimes. Lit. You can imagine it can get a little too lit sometimes. And, um, that's one of the many reasons why we became the A-listers. Um, and people were like, openly making fun of the forever purge like out loud you know in the theater in, in a theater that has like 30 seats you know like little tiny crappy auditorium and that made the movie a little bit better for me but it also made me go like oh man these movies like loki stink yeah so i honestly feel like it's a i think that blumhouse does like a really incredible thing by like giving artists platforms that they otherwise wouldn't have to make movies on a budget that they can scrape together um i think that that's a really uh unique and interesting you know uh approach to take to filmmaking and i think in a lot of ways it's it it works for them i mean they make a lot like patrick said they make a lot of money on these films um but I, I feel like The Purge is such a strong idea that I feel like, you know, maybe their elevator pitch was just poor and then Blumhouse kind of took it and, and shaped it up into something really strong. But, like, I just go, I feel like this could have been better. I wish they had, they had let it cook for a little while longer and um, done something really incredible with it. I'm not saying that Blumhouse cannot make really great movies. Um, I don't think that that's true, but I just feel like, I wish that they had just done more with this really strong idea. Does that make sense? You're talking about The Purge still, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you guys see Anarchy. I think that that's the best of the bunch. Um, but what's interesting to me, and also, Freaky, Blumhouse movie, $6 million which budget. I, which I loved. $6 million budget and still made money even coming out in the middle of the pandemic because all they had to do was recoup $6 bucks. I'm not that it's just that easy, but, um, you know, they made money out of that movie still. Um, what the purge had to do was eventually deliver on its premise. One night of, uh, of anarchy and it had to work its way up to that point. What the binge does, and yes, it's, it's a parody is it goes 
way past believability immediately. One night of debauchery, you know, you have to snort a pile of cocaine that's a foot tall. And that bizarrely was like the one thing that bothered me about this was like, obviously this entire premise is silly, but that final ninja warrior obstacle course of drugs and alcohol was so insanely unbelievable that the last 20 minutes, it, it kind of lost me. And that was what I think kind of kept me from like being like, I have to sing this movie's unsung praises because the climax just completely lost me and it became like another movie. I, I do agree with that to an extent. You know, something... When I saw Babylon, I, um, I had this thought in my head of, you know, I'm... Of a, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> of, I, like, it is very difficult for me to pay attention to movies, which is why I'm a TV person. Something about the fact that I get to choose to move on is a lot more uh, engaging for me than a movie. And I have to work really hard a lot of times to not check my phone, to not also play a game. I just, like, really, I don't feel like movies are often simulating enough. What that can tend to fall into, and I thought this during Babylon, is... I can't tell if I like this movie because the truth is I couldn't take my eyes off the screen, but is that spectacle or is that, you know, genuinely strong movie making? Was it spectacular visually and like auditorily? Is that a word auditorily? No. Anyways, is it? Is it? No. Okay. Well, is it, you know, is it spectacular visually and auditorily or is it just, um, and I can't look away or is it just, like, so captivating and that was all intentional and movie-making? Like, that's something that I really struggle with. Um, and I felt similar. I've now started kind of applying that to movies that I watch, uh, like, other movies that I watch. Um, and The Binge is one of those movies, and I felt similarly during that climax of, like, this movie has been, I mean, definitely not unbelievable, but it's also been, like, somewhat rooted in reality. And then you're right, they do totally kind of go off the rails during that climax, and... I was engaged during that climax a lot, and I, I asked myself, like, do I think that I am engaged during this climax because it is a freaking train wreck that I can't look away from, or because it's really strong? And I do think that in the case of, of the binge specifically, it is a train wreck that I couldn't look away from. I don't think that that actually was, like, a strong mechanism, like, to do writing-wise, um, but... It's also, like, I don't know what else they would have done because they, like, this this Ninja Warrior game is a, a huge plot point for the rest of the movie. I mean, of course it has to amount to that. I mean, they can't talk about this, like, you know, legendary thing and then, um, you know, not not do it, you know? Like, it, it I, I don't know. It's tough. Um, I do think, like, do they have this Ninja Warrior thing in every city? Do people travel from around the world to go to this Ninja Warrior thing once a year? Um, or does, like, does everywhere have them? What do you think? I don't care. <laughs> I didn't think about it that much. I guess I'll have to watch the Christmas sequel and, and find out. I'm, I wasn't thinking about it either. I just, like, I just thought of it now. I, you know, it's interesting because this is a movie that has, like, a random musical number in it. Like, it's a silly out there movie but i like the ferris bueller book smart of it all very like to get theatery for a second very like magical realism almost 
Well, that's what I'm saying, is that, like, I like the non-magical realism parts of it. I like the Ferris Bueller book smart. I, uh, uh, I, I really like the movie from a couple of years ago called Rough Night, and this made me think of Rough Night. The, the One Crazy Night movie, um, which obviously is a genre in and of itself, but, like, the, the straight-up comedy version of that. How do we get to the big party? What happens at the big party? That, that stuff... I, I, I dig that kind of subgenre. I think this movie is funny enough and holds enough weight and has enough strong character performances that the silly stuff doesn't bother me. Uh, like the musical numbers, I kind of find that charming. It just got a little too far for me at the end for me to go like, ah, all right, man. I wish this built up to better because I felt like the movie up to that was to that point was better. I don't want to make it sound like I'm shooting on this movie. I like this movie better than most people. Um, it's one of our top ten Vince Vaughn movies. I really like his performance. I think it's a really funny movie. It just barely eked out being, for me, like uh, a hidden gem. Uh, I totally agree. I, I really, I totally, totally agree. Um, the one thing that, like, this is so freaking random um, but, like, I feel like I've been talking to you a lot recently about, like, I, it, it all started with Glass Onion. I felt like Glass Onion was so hyper 2020. Like, obviously, like, they talk about COVID, they talk about the lockdown, they talk about they wear masks. Um, and so I feel like, you know, thinking about, like, movies that are, like, just, like, so of the time and, like, are aged before they even get to us. Like, I felt like Glass Onion was aged before it even got to us. It, like, felt like 2020 and not 2022. Um, this, this is so random, but, like, in 2020, the, when they go to prom, uh, at the very end of the movie, he ends up going with the girl he's been pining after. She wears this, this tool strawberry dress that was everywhere in 2020, and now it's, like, totally chuggy. Um, I mean, if you like the dress, no shade to you. Like, it is a very beautiful dress, but it just became very popularized and instantly fell off because of the hype around it. And I went like, ooh, that's so painfully 2020. Any final thoughts about the binge? Is this one of the episodes we were like, yeah, it's pretty good. I feel like this would be an amazing movie to have, like, a drinking game for. Oh, my God. The, the not irony, but the... Uh, I don't know. For lack of a better word, the irony. I just feel like maybe we should watch this movie while also binging on drugs and alcohol. Not that you should do that. You should never do that. But if you were to do that, maybe you would. Um, maybe that would be a funny thing to do. We did not address the group of middle-aged women painting paintings of Vince's dick and balls. You know, it was the first thing that popped into my head when we started talking, and I was like, I need to save it. I can't just jump right into this. Um, so thank you for bringing it up. Um uh, just so so we're clear, Patrick brought it up and not me. But yes, uh, you are correct. Vince goes to go like bust um, his daughter because she has snuck out of the house. Um, and I, I don't actually know how, but he ends up at um, this other parent's house, I think. And but they don't they don't know who he is. They, they've never seen him in the small town, which is odd, but whatever. Um, and it's all of these women who have gotten together and it's like like a, a wine night and they're drinking their wine and they have little goodie bags that are filled with like ecstasy and um, they're just having a casual gals night in during the, the binge. And what they do on their drugs and alcohol is um, because they keep it classy, uh, they hire a nude person to pose for them so that they can paint them. And when Vince comes knocking on the door, 
um, they think it's, it's the nude painter and that he's just being, like, modest, and he's like, I am the principal of the local school, you know me, and then they're like, whatever you say, sweetheart, and then he ends up getting naked, and, um, they, what is it, like, they, they do something that, like, alludes to him having a huge penis, do you remember what it is? Do they, like, sculpt it? Do they, like, just paint it? And They, like, show one of the paintings. Okay, gotcha, yeah, and, um, I feel like that's true. I mean, you can't be that tall and not uh, have something going on down there, I feel like. Next week's movie, uh, probably the most anticipated of this final chapter, Freaky. One of my most anticipated ever, I think. I really enjoyed Freaky when we saw it in theaters, um, and I'm really looking forward to revisiting it. Until then, you can find the show at Vonathon on Instagram or at no, at Vonathon on Twitter, at Vince Vonathon on Instagram. You can also send us an email, VinceVonathon at gmail.com. However, the best place to find us is our website, FeaturePresentationVideo.com. It is the home of everything that we do. This show, Why Two Kids, where we're watching shows and movies and playing games and eating snacks from our childhood around the turn of the millennium. Uh, the Future Presentation Podcast, where we talk about anything we want to talk about, every column that we write, every list that we put out, every suggestion, our newsletters, our, our reoccurring comms, everything that we do, uh, movies, TV, pop culture, film history can be found on futurepresentationvideo.com. Like I said, it's the best way to support us because you go, you put your email address in. We don't sell your data or anything. We should, though. We should look into that. Maybe we'll make a couple bucks off of selling these people's email addresses. Uh, we won't sell your email address for now. Um, we'll just send you stuff five days a week, uh, free, no paywall content about, like I said, pop culture history and, and uh, the things that we like and want to suggest to you. And it's, it uh, really helps us out. You can also, of course, this podcast, rate it five stars, leave us a nice review. That is on your podcast app of choice, a great way to support us. You can find me everywhere. Um, actually, I don't know why I said that. You cannot find me everywhere. You can find me everywhere at Patrick J. Regal. I was getting ahead of myself because I think last week I said yours and you said mine. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mailer Talone, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Taylor Malone. Next week, Freaky. We will see you then. See you then.